Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Man, that was awesome, right? Awesome, awesome. We want to encourage you to keep those videos coming. If you've not yet done that, we're going to do that all the way through this series. And so we just want to make sure that you're aware of that. I want to welcome everybody uh, here this morning. We want to welcome everybody on our East Campus and our Community of Hope future Lake Worth campus. And speaking of Lake Worth campus, I want to show you something that happened this past week. We have started uh, an outreach opportunity over at the future Lake Worth campus, and we're doing sort of a workout thing. We're calling it, I think, COH Boot Camp. Here they are out there. And uh, there's just some pictures there I want to show you. We had this past week, Thursday, we had about 45 people, as I understand it, come. And the majority of those, the vast majority of those are people, are people right from the neighborhood who are checking our future Lake Worth campus out. Isn't that awesome? We're going uh, to you know, bring Jesus over to that part of our community, and we're going to get your butt in shape at the same time. <laughs> So this is, this is Community of Hope doing what Community of Hope does well. So anyhow, I want to welcome everybody, and we're going to get right to it. So grab your notes and grab your app. We're going to jump into it. We're in a series right now. We're calling the series, I Am Community of Hope. Just so we could say it again, can we all do it together? I Am Community of Hope. And we're talking in this series about what makes our church distinctive and different. That's really kind of what we're going at in this series. Beyond all of the normal things that we talk about church, beyond worship, beyond service, uh, you know, all the usual things when we talk about church, what makes our church unique? And we're focusing in this series a little around what has become the mission of our church, sort of the driving uh, force, the rudder, if you will, in the water uh, around our church. And if you don't know what that is, uh, we invite our, our partners to, to commit that to memory. When you walk out into the Welcome Center, uh, uh, when the service is over, look behind the Welcome Center. You're going to see it right there on the board. We're going to put it on the screen. We're going to ask everybody to say it. Let's say it out loud together. Ready? Go. Community of Hope exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and grow together into fully devoted followers of him. And what we're doing in this series is we're focusing on the front half of this mission. And the front half of this mission, of course, is to interest disinterested people in Jesus. How do we do this? Why is this important? What is, what is um, a, a value for us in that as we think about being followers of Jesus uh, in this important time uh, in human history. If you were l- with us last week, uh, one of the things that I pointed out that I really wanted us to think about together as a church family is that um, I think kindness is an important value for those of us who follow Jesus. And uh, I don't think it's just necessarily even just kindness, but it's kindness offered in Jesus' name. And if you were with us last week, we, we took a little obscure verse that the Apostle Paul uh, mentions in his epic epistle, the epistle to the churches in Rome. And Paul makes this observation that it is the kindness of God that leads people to him. And in Romans chapter 2, verses four, uh, verse 4, this is the idea that we latched onto and we shared last week, if you're with us, that I think this is a distinctive 
uh, of our church that we're aiming at this. God's kindness is an agent that moves people toward the consideration of him. Not as wrath, not as judgment, not as confrontation, but as kindness. Uh, my sense would be that every one of us could go back into our own lives, into our own experiences, and we could think about moments um, where, where people showed up before we had an understanding really of who Jesus was, where people just showed up in our lives in important and meaningful ways, my guess would be some of that would be tethered to kindness uh, and, and the kindness offered in Jesus' name. And it began to have us, you know, begin to move us to consider who Jesus is. Kindness always works, not wrath, not judgment, not confrontation, not bullying like Alabama did to Florida yesterday. Relax. I mean, couldn't they see we just wanted to win a football game? I'm mostly over it. But we identified last week that our church, that whenever it's working right, we will manifest kindness to other people, understanding when we do this, that the power of the Holy Spirit will use this as a way to move people closer to God. Years ago, I read from a Christian author by the name of Steve Shogren, and Steve Shogren wrote this observation. I've never forgotten it. He said this. He said, kindness, he said, carries incredible power to break down spiritual strongholds and to tee up human hearts to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if there were ever a time in human history where that would be true, this would be a time it would be true. Amen to that? And so this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about uh, in, in, in this series right now. And we're learning that um, oftentimes it's these small, seemingly in insignificant things strung together over a long enough period of time that begin to manifest great things. I was reading in church history one time that this idea, the central idea that with the early followers of Jesus were coming against the idea of Rome, the Roman government and the Pax Romana of Rome, that the early church began to manifest three things. I was sharing that this week with the teaching team. And they, and they began to manifest three things. A small group of people who began to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and many of those had seen the resurrection at firsthand, they began to express selfless generosity, Christian compassion, and radical hospitality. And some scholars write that they believe it was actually those very things that toppled the Roman government. Because the, the, because the, the, the culture of the day there wasn't any other way to contextualize why Christians would do that other than the idea that they had come to believe that this God that they worshiped was a God who walked in human flesh that defeated death and came out of the grave and it began to radically alter their lives. And in so doing, they began to live differently and as a result of them living differently, it began to change the world. It's still happening. It can still happen. And so this is the kind of stuff that we're discovering right now. So uh, this weekend, I want to move in a bit of a different direction, and I want us to consider what it is, what it is that runs behind the expressions of kindness that we offer in Jesus' name 
So what is really the value behind that? What is going on behind that? And to do that, I want to take us to an Old Testament passage that actually I've been having our future Lake Worth campus look at. When we go over there, I go over there once a month, and I've been doing some teaching over there. And when I go over there, I've been using the story in the Old Testament of of a man by the name of Nehemiah, uh, who did an incredible thing back in history. And I want to read a couple of verses uh, to, uh, for you or to you this morning to just sort of tee up the story that I want us to consider. This is in the Old Testament. This is the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to just read down the first four verses. So the, it says this, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, which is a month in, in the Hebrew calendar that uh, commemorates, I think, to November and December, so in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, I, while I was in the city uh, of Susa, which is um, about 150 miles, we would say today, north of the Persian Gulf in, near Iran. This is where this would have taken place. One of my brothers, Hanani, came to me from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem itself. And uh, they said to me, the men that had gathered, my brother and these others, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and, and great disgrace, for the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. And in fact, for some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Uh, let's, let's take a moment and do just what he did. Let's take a moment and pray together. God, we invite you uh, in this space by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, to take uh, an ancient story uh, in ancient words and let them live again for this day and for this moment. God, in this space that like only you can do, would you take uh, what Nehemiah did and would you translate that into our day and into our culture in a way that we might become difference makers for you? Because all around us are a sea of people, many of whom have not yet understood or have forgotten, or even worse, been told they don't qualify for the love and grace that you offer to us in Christ. And so God, would you come even as we are people who are gracious recipients of your grace, would you teach us how to be transmitters and conduits of your grace? to other people, for we pray together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let me give you just a little bit of Bible background here. So like I already mentioned, this is southwest Iran. This is 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf. And the story takes place uh, during the forced exile of Babylonian Empire, somewhere around 550, 580 B.C. The Babylonian Empire uh, forces the exile of God's people, and they're overtaken by the Persian Uh, empire. And somewhere in this story, uh, here's what we'd want to know. Nehemiah lands on his feet, and he becomes a cup bearer to the king. And so even though he's living in uh, captivity, even though he's living in ruins, and even though he's living far away from his people, somehow in the miraculous sense of God's timing and God's grace, he winds up serving, uh, you know, a hostile, in, in a hostile government under a hostile king as a cupbearer to the king. Uh, It's an important position. 
Uh, it's a distinguished position. He's serving actually under King, historically King Art Xerxes. And the story begins when one day one of Nehemiah's brothers comes to him and he reports that the city uh, walls still lay in ruin and that the walls surrounding the city is torn down. And here's the big idea if you're taking notes. This is the kind of thing I want us to think about for a moment. The idea, the way that Nehemiah receives it is this. It's really twofold. He understands that because this is true, it leaves God's chosen people vulnerable to additional attack. And listen to this. It makes a mockery of God's greater purposes in the world. So in other words, this is what I want you to think about. When, when Nehemiah hears this in his time, in his day, and in, 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 in his season, what translates to him is that um, God's purposes uh, are susceptible to being ridiculed in the greater world. And this disturbs Nehemiah. He, he's, he's brokenhearted about it. And so, so we're sort of dropped in, in the book of Nehemiah, we're dropped into the middle of the story, and we know that something's going on. There's been a lot of history that brings us to this moment, and here we are dropped you know, uh, into the middle of it, and, and we learn that Nehemiah, when he discovers this, he fasts, he prays, he mourns, he cries, this sort of thing. And, and, and I was thinking about this because um, I, don't think, I don't think for those of us who are normal, normal followers of Christ, we normally start there. We, we, have to, we have to get to a place to see God's greater purposes in the world, right? I think when many of us become sort of recipients of the gospel of Jesus, when we begin to learn that the, the, the life of Jesus can be manifest in our life, that our sins can be forgiven, that purpose and meaning and all this kind of stuff can flow in our lives, it takes us a while to sort of get there. And so, so when, I, when I think about this, I, I started thinking about, you know, how do we, how did we develop uh, developmentally along a spiritual track? I, re- I remember when I was in college, uh, an illustration I like to use is, uh, I remember taking a class, it might have been an intro to psychology class, anybody ever take an intro to psychology class? And I learned about a guy by the name of Abraham Maslow. How many of y'all remember who Abraham Maslow was? And Abraham Maslow talked about what he, uh, his greater work was that he talked about uh, a hierarchy of needs, and uh, he, he kind of goes about it this way. Now, follow me, because I'm going to move this over and, and help us understand the story, but this is how I want to get to it. He said there are really five ways of, of belonging. He said the first, he said, uh, the first level of need is our, our physiological needs, just sort of hunger and thirst. He said we don't really care about anything else when we're hungry and when we're thirsty, just food and water. If you've ever been around a baby, we know that's true, right? That's how that happens. After the physiological needs are met, uh, he says the next level up is what he calls safety. We move from food and water, and we want some basic security. We want a place to live where we can have order uh, from chaos, where we can have some stability. So if you're tracking with us, that makes sense. We have physiological needs. We go to safety. Maslow says the third, the third way that we think about things is he said the third level up is what he calls belonging. And he said, at, at the belonging level, you begin to wonder if you belong anywhere. Who are my people? Where do I connect? Who are the people that love me? Where do I fit in? That makes sense, right? You go up one other level, he calls it the level of esteem. And he said, when we get to this level, this is sort of interesting. He says, we start to ask ourselves some introspective questions. Am I respectable? Am I successful? Do I have a reason to be confident? Can I contribute in some meaningful way beyond just my own self? 
And then he said, once we have gotten to those four, those four levels met, we go to the last level, which many of you all know or, or, or you probably heard about. He called this level, he called it self-actualization. And it's the peak of personal development. This is where he said you can finally, finally now enjoy beauty and mystery and creativity. Why? Because all these other needs are met. Now, think with me for just a moment. This is what I want to ask us to consider. Let's move that over, developmentally speaking, into a spiritual climate. Think with me for a moment or two how we develop as followers of Christ. So some of us, you know, we think about it, you, you, you stumble in here. You know, I, I love it. Sometimes people are in here and they don't know why they're in here. You're in here. I don't know. You got an invitation. Something happened. You're here, you know. And, and, and uh, I remember when we were building our church, I had a guy that stopped by and he said, what is this? And uh, we were out there one afternoon and the walls were going up and they were, they were putting the stone up, I think, around and I said, well, it's a church. He goes, oh, and he was disappointed. <laughs> it was super discouraging, by the way. And I'm trying to mask my discouragement. And I said, oh, what did you think it was? He goes, I thought it was an outback steakhouse. <laughs> I was like, okay, anyhow. Um, so we stumble in here, and, and how is it that we begin to grow? Can I, can I make a suggestion as to how? I'll give you five things. And, and this, is, this is what I think about. I think, I think first of all, we, we probably enter the spiritual life with a sense of what I would almost want to call radical self-interest. We've heard something. Uh, we're checking it out. Can it benefit me in some way? I even think at that level, if, if you contribute, maybe you give financially or you contribute, you serve, you do something in some way, why, why do you do that? When I've talked to people at that level sometimes, when I remember my own development at this level, sometimes I, I thought it was cool, it was meeting and needed a certain way, and I just didn't want it to go away. I wanted it to continue. And I knew that if it needed to continue, like I'd have to be involved in some way to contribute so that it, so that it would continue. I think that's level one. And some of us are here, and that's okay if you're there. I mean, I think that's oftentimes where the journey starts. It starts at radical self-interest. But here's what I want to tell you. It shouldn't stay there. It can start there, but it, it can't end there. The next level up, you want to go to the next level up? Here's what I think the next level up is. I call it spiritual gratitude. And spiritual gratitude, I think it was King David who wrote this in Psalm 116, 112. He said, how can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? And you come in and, you, and, and, and I think you know that level, you, you just start, you start moving and you just start realizing that, you, you know, I, I want to be grateful. I remember years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to go to Hawaii. And when I went to Hawaii, I went to the uh, Pearl Harbor Memorial. I want to show, show you a picture of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's built on top of where the USS Arizona was. And in fact, you can come out. See the, see the windows on that? You can look over and you can look down and you see the remnant of the USS Arizona. It's there. And here was, here was what was so crazy when we were there that day. Even still yet today, I checked it out, it still leaks oil. You can just see oil still stretching up to the surface. 
And, and when people go there and they go to that memorial, it was interesting. I witnessed this. People would come and, and they would do what we do at all memorials. If, you, if you've gone to Washington, D.C. and you go to the World War II Memorial or you go to the Korean War Memorial or you go to the Vietnam Memorial and you go that long while, you'll watch people come up and sometimes they'll look a name up and they'll touch the name. Sometimes they'll take paper out and they'll chalk the name. And I, I remember a time when I was in Washington, D.C., and I was watching that at the Vietnam Memorial, and, and a guy came up, and that's what he was doing. And I, I went over, and I, I didn't want to interrupt, but he was there. It looked like he was not you know, in this space where, where I couldn't ask a question. I said, I'm, I'm kind of curious. What are you doing? And he, and he pointed to the name, and he said, well, I'm alive because of this guy. And he said, so every February 7, I come and I touch the name and I remember. And, and that's what we do, right? We go to memorials every November 10, every, every April 2, every whatever, and, and we remember. That's, that's a gratitude level. Now, that's powerful. But can I even suggest to you there are more levels you can go to? You know what another level is? I think it's not spiritual gratitude. Some of us are at a level I would call spiritual obedience. We just start to become the people that start reading the Word and whatever the Word just says, we just do. Right? Remember the story one time with the Roman centurion and he asked Jesus, can you, can you just... Come, I have somebody who's sick in my home. And Jesus, you know, it's like he, he, he was in this conversation and talking to Jesus about that. And, and this is how he teed up the whole thing. He said, hey, Jesus, I'm a man under authority. And I lead people. And he, and he was saying in as much as he goes, I recognize that you're under authority. There's power around you. And, and, and if you come, I know that you can do it. And Jesus said, I'm just going to send the word. And he healed him. What, what, and Jesus, remember what he said on the end of that? He goes, I've not found such faith in all of Jerusalem. What was Jesus saying there? He recognized the idea of authority within the kingdom of God. And some of us are at, le at the level of spiritual obedience or, or, or uh, spiritual obedience. I want to give you what I think is one more level. I could break them down into two. I want to just for, for the purposes of today, I just want to, I want to make it, make it together. And it's what I would call this highest level would be spiritual vision and love. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm aiming at. If you grow in your faith long enough, this is my hope, this is my prayer for everybody online, everybody at the East Campus, everybody in this room right now, that you will grow in your faith enough that you begin to see the world a different way. That, you, you, that when you look at the world, you look at the world and you, you begin to say to yourself, the world is broken in some way. You ever do that? that there's something missing right now. And because of our faith and because we've grown in our faith, we, we just begin to move faith into that space. And what we begin to say is, 
is my faith speaks directly to what I see missing in the greater world. Now here's, what I, here's, what, here's my prayer. I'm praying this over you. I pray that all of us get to that level. I pray that we all are inflicted with seeing the world through a different lens. And that the vision and the mission and the cause of Jesus becomes so great in our lives. We never look at people. We never look at problems. We never look at circumstances quite the same way again. We just see it, it missing something, and we know that the answer is what Jesus offers to the world. I mean, wasn't he the one who said, I am a way? Is that what he said? No. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so when I when I look at when I look at that and I move that over into the world of faith, this is a powerful thing for me. And 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 here's here's now all of that is just to set up really what I what I see so beautifully lived out down in the Old Testament through the life of Nehemiah. And what I notice is that because I believe when I read the story that Nehemiah was just looking at the world a different way, Nehemiah's life was reflective of a grander story that was unfolding around him. And and I noticed that Nehemiah stepped into what I would say, quite honestly, are three sort of what I would say are normative practices for everyone who follows and loves Jesus. This is These are the things that should just become a part of our lives. So routine we don't even think about them. Nehemiah sees the plight of, of the people of Israel, the Jerusalem people, and here's what he does. Number one, rhythm number one, he cries out to God. He does what I think uh, is the normative practice It's the reflexive invitation for us to ask God to help us see the world his way. And this is what he does. This is Nehemiah 1.4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed uh, before the God of heaven. And this is kind of what, what is, I think, going on in that moment. And, and And for some of us today, I want to say that's this is your message. This is for you. I mean, you've come in here, you've been beat up by the world, every one of us. I, I remember a, a mentor early on in my ministry when I was just starting out, and he said, I remember him saying to me, he said, Dale, as a pastor, you have got to learn the skill of walking slowly through a crowd. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, because every single person you walk around is fighting a battle. And Jesus wants to be involved in some way. And he said, if you, your life is characterized by a rhythm that is too quick, too fast, you can miss it. And I know we have people in our church that get up every day and, so, and, and, and their prayer isn't, you know, Lord, you know, do something today. It's really a prayer that says, Lord, you are doing things today. Where, where, can, I con- where can I contribute and this is what we see in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah just cried out to God. And so some of us right here, I would just say, you know, that's for you. I would say, here's what I would say. You brought a circumstance in here. Cry out to God. He wants to hear it. In fact, um, it's all over Scripture. I, I wrote some Scriptures down. You can write these down. Philippians 4, 
uh, 6 through 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 and 19. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy temple. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of us, like right here, I want to go. That's all you needed to hear, you can leave, but don't leave. Here's what's really powerful. When you begin to pray those prayers, not just for yourself, but for someone else. When you, when you begin to not only ask God to watch over your needs and deal with your circumstances, but you begin to live in this kind of tension where you are praying that for other people, that's when it gets dangerous, right there. And this is what God is inviting us into. And this is kind of what we're trying to say in this series. What happens if a church begins to take that vision seriously? What, what happens, like we talked about last, last week, where we refuse to be a museum for saints, and I know many of you, and you're not saints. And you know me, and you know I'm not a saint. That was supposed to be funnier than actually that came off in this moment right now. <laughs> Okay, but here's what I would say to you. What, what, what would happen if we said, we're not going to be a museum for saints, we'll be a hospital for sinners. And a hospital for sinners, by the way, is messy. It's ragged, it's uneven, it's hard to describe, it's hard to define. But this is what God calls us to. Nehemiah cried out to God. Now, here's what I think is powerfully, uh, powerful to me as a lover of history. Um, this is what Nehemiah began to do. Here's what I want to say historically I find fascinating. The wall had been down 140 years. So this wasn't a new thing. You ever, you ever noticed when a new crisis happens? Remember back in the day when we would only have one or two crises a year? Remember, remember, remember back in the day when that would happen and we weren't like the world wasn't blowing up every other day, you know, and we would as a church, we'd get rallied around. I can remember always oh, a hurricane over here and we would collect money and we were doing this and doing all these things. And, you know, now, now, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a natural ascendancy toward getting called to a crisis when the crisis is new. When the crisis isn't new, I think the challenge is even Stronger. Does that make sense? 140 years old. What happened? I, I, the only way I can describe that is this. He began to see the world a different way. Spiritual vision. I, I think this is what God wants to invite us into. You know, I, Bill, Suzanne, Ken, Jim, I want to show you how to see the world a different way. Not that we pull up to our house and we hit the button and the thing comes up and we drive in and we drop it down and the moat, we're across the moat and we don't ever leave the kingdom. God is wanting us to be his hands and feet in a world that has broken and lost its way. 
Nehemiah cried out to God. Then, then, then he did this. This is challenging to me. He moved toward the mess. Anybody moved by that? I am. Not a perfect situation, you know, Nehemiah was. He served under exile, in exile under a rogue king. He didn't know uh, who had plundered the people who plundered his people and took his homeland. And he musters up the courage to go to the king. And it's a fascinating story. You can read it in Nehemiah too. Read it this afternoon. You know, Nehemiah goes to the king. The king, you know, he's bringing the food. It looks like he's bringing the food in. You know, he's the cupbearer. And the king notices that he's downcast. Why are you downcast? Uh, I don't want to share. Tell me. Well, my homeland. And you could just see all this fear and trepidation. But he stepped into it. He moved toward the mess. There was some situation somewhere along the way where he said, this is my moment. And he did it. You know, one of the things I'm reading right now, just as a fascinating side note that I think has connective tissue to all this, I'm reading right now because of all the crises that are going on in our world, we are experiencing, you know, we're all talking about COVID. What we're not dealing with is the the incredible levels of anxiety underneath it in our culture. Rise of suicide, rise of all these difficult things. And, and, and so there's a lot of challenge, there's a lot of trouble, and, and one book I'm reading is drawing a connection that it's a perfect storm, actually, because prior to COVID, with the rise of social media and the isolation of actual relationships, listen to this, that there has become this radical self-interest that is turning in on itself. And here's what's interesting. As a, as a Christ follower, as a pastor, as a Bible reader, we're not created that way. We're created to extend our hands and our hearts to other people. Here's what I want you to know. This is where you find hope. This is where you find meaning. This is where you find purpose. And, and, and the more you f- begin to understand Jesus' direction for your life... He's going to loosen the grip you have on yourself, and he's going to turn your attention to his world. And it's there, it's there where you find meaning. It's there where you find purpose. It's there, listen to this, it's there where you find why you've been created. I remember younger in my ministry, and I led a, a man to faith in Christ. He'd grown up in church all his life, and, and he just didn't get it. And, and, you know, it wasn't his fault. A lot of times there's such a, I don't know, there's an old expression that said, if there's a fog in the pulpit, there's a mist in the pew. And a lot of times there's just a lot of fog, <laughs> can I just say? And, and when I told him about the love of Christ that could forgive his sins, and I'll never forget, at first it went like this. I, I don't, I, if you only knew, this is what he said to me, if you only knew. And I said, you know what, here's what I, I said, I don't know that I have to know. 
He knows. And he loves you anyway. And, and, and he's, he's, he's a God who is rebuilding things all the time. He loves rebuilding projects. And I'll never forget, he gave his life to Christ and began to grow in his faith. And he told me one day when we met, he said, you know, it's funny. He said, I, I've often wondered. He said, I have a job. I won't even tell you his job. He said, I have a job, and I've never understood like my job. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to do this. And then what, I'm, I'm going to die, that's it. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, we're going out. I, I, I used to greet at this church where I was pastoring as a young pastor. I'm there in my robe greeting. And I don't know why I threw that in. I wanted, <laughs> felt like you needed to know that. And, and, he, and he comes out and, 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 and he says to me, he gets right up in my face and he goes, my job has meaning. I said, what? So my, my job has meaning. Remember when we were talking about my job? And I said, yeah. And he goes, now, he said, I do what I do. Listen to this. In Jesus' name. It's transformed everything I do. I mean, it's like you could just see the light in his eyes. I, when he left, I felt like I wanted to do his job. <laughs> this is what Jesus does. But, but he does it, I think, when you open yourself to his purposes, right? You, you, you move toward the mess. And then lastly, this. This is what I love, and I'll close with it. Nehemiah owned a part of the problem where he could best contribute. You get to chapter 2, and he says uh, to the king, so can I go do an exploration journey to my homeland so that I can see the wall? And it must have been a moment of great courage, he said, so then I can rebuild it. And the king says, go. He didn't do the whole thing. He did his part of the thing. And this is, the, this is always the question, right? What's your part of the thing? If we're all going to serve together as a church, right? We don't even say members here. We say partners. If we're all going to partner together to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ, we all have to own our part of the thing. And then it becomes a mission that, that changes the atmosphere of our community. How many of you think, just by a show of hands, we should change the atmosphere of our community? If you uh, have ever driven on State Road 7, right, especially at Southern Boulevard, you know we should change the atmosphere of our city. And God uses ordinary garden variety people to get his purposes done. Do yourself a favor. Join the mission. Join the mission. Lord, I believe with all my heart this is how you change our lives and how you change the world. I mean, I said it last weekend, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And this is what you do. Would you forgive us when we have lived faith that might only be described as radical self-interest? 
Would you help us move through to spiritual gratitude on the way to spiritual obedience, on the way to spiritual vision, and then finally where the only thing we can say about what characterizes our our lives is simply this phrase. Well, I don't really know how to say it other than to say, love made me do it. I I can't fit. Love made me do it. As we have received your love, may we be expressions of it to other people. In the name of Jesus, who is our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. So would you go from this space and do what the Apostle Paul said that believers have the wonderful capacity to do. Go from this place and spread abroad the fragrance of the knowledge of the Son of God everywhere you go. Go in His peace. Go in His grace. We'll see you next weekend. Amen.